Well, if you would, open your Bible to the book of John chapter 15, once again, John chapter 15. As we have begun 2024, we have been looking in detail at this portion of Scripture in John chapter 15, where Jesus said, I am the vine and ye are the branches. And considering what it means to abide in Christ. And this morning we're going to be looking at John chapter 15, verse 4. Jesus said, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. Heavenly Father, help us understand and apply your word. Teach us what we need to know and show us how we need to change. Work in us to accomplish your will, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to notice the first three words of John 15, 4, where Jesus said, Abide in me. Those three words form the only command found in the entire lesson of the branches in the vine. In other words, Jesus is not making a suggestion here. He's not just simply giving a good idea. He is commanding His followers to abide in Him. He is the vine. We are the branches. And that means that He's the only source of spiritual life that we have. And so in order for Christ's life to flow through us unhindered, we have to maintain that vital connection with Him purposely living in total dependence on Him. And when we do, Jesus reassures us that He is abiding in us and that through us, He will produce the fruit that He wants to see. His life will be in us and flowing through us. We must abide in Him. That is the one command. And that is our responsibility in the relationship. Everything else that comes of our life will be Jesus working in and through us as we abide in Him. But see, too often as Christians, we try to live independently of Christ. We do our own thing. We live how we feel based on our uh, impulses, our own conclusions, and just how we feel like doing whatever in the moment. Instead of intentionally living dependent on Christ. We attempt to reform ourselves instead of letting God conform us into the image of Christ. We go through religious rituals instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to produce fruit in us. We depend on our own power, our own intellect, our own skills to change our behavior more than we depend on Christ to effect the change in us. And the result of not abiding in Christ inevitably is frustration and failure. And Jesus reiterated this fact when He said, As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. We cannot succeed in anything that matters unless we abide in Christ. I want you to notice with me three simple points this morning from this verse. We're going to notice, first of all, the responsibility of the Christian... Secondly, the inability of the branch. And third, the vitality of the vine. So number one, the responsibility of the Christian. Jesus says in this verse, Abide in me and I in you. 
This is the command. This is really the driving command of the entire passage here. The one central idea. Do this because of this and this will result. Here is the command. To remain connected to Christ so that His life can flow through us. Just as the sap of a vine flows through the vine into the branches, the life of Christ flows into and through us when we maintain our vital connection to Him through an abiding relationship. And I want to try this morning to help us understand a concept that I think is one of the most difficult to understand as Christians, but it's one of the most important. And that is I really want to nail down in our minds, what does it mean to abide in Christ? For years I have been preaching this message, uh, this idea of abiding in Christ. And I've always found it a little bit difficult to really explain what it means. And this morning, I want to give you five words that help, under, help us understand what this concept of abiding in Christ really looks like. Now, we can say it is being connected to Christ. We can say that it's maintaining a vital relationship with Him. And we can say it's being dependent on Him at all times. But sometimes those concepts are just kind of vague. We need something a little more specific, something a little more down-to-earth, something a little more practical. So let me give you these four words today that I think will help us in this idea. The first word to help us understand the concept of abiding in Christ is the word cleave, cleave. That is to stick to something, to stay with it, or to be attached to it. All right, so jot that word down and then turn over to the book of Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. When God created Adam and Eve, in Genesis chapter 2, he said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. The marriage union is described as the cleaving of two individuals together into one. So that when a couple is married, they are seen in God's eyes as an entity, not two separate individuals, but in many ways, a single entity tied up in one another. Now, I've done some woodworking over the years, worked in a cabinet shop for a little while, and there were a number of times where we had to glue boards together to make up a, a, a larger piece for some purpose, like if we were making a panel for a door or something like that. And so we would take two boards and uh, we would uh, lay them on a table. We would put some glue down the edges that they would be meeting. And then we'd lay those boards out and we'd clamp them together. And we would let that dry most of the time overnight so that glue would set up really, really well. And the next day when we took the clamps off, those two boards would be so stuck together that they were essentially one. There would be no way of separating those boards again without cutting or damaging the boards. So you could put those boards down and hit it with a hammer and you could probably break it apart, but you're going to break the wood before you break the glue joint because those two boards were cleaving together. 
They had been so connected that they had become one. Now look at Acts 11 and verse 23. The Bible says, Who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted all that with purpose of heart they would, say that last phrase, cleave unto the Lord. When we talk about abiding in Christ, we are talking about a connection that is so intricate that it's as if you were one. Because the truth of the matter is, when you accepted Christ as your Savior, you were placed in Christ, and Christ was placed in you. And so there now is a union between you and the Savior, which is indissolvable. There is no way to separate you from Christ if you are a child of God. And so abiding in Christ begins with that understanding that I am connected. I am one with Christ because I am in Him and He's in me. Cleave unto the Lord. Now using the illustration of a husband and wife, because of sin, sometimes the relationship between a husband and wife can be uh, artificially broken. One person or the other may decide to separate from their spouse. And in the eyes of God, that's sin, that's wrong. And marriage is supposed to be one man, one woman for one lifetime. But we understand that in order for that cleaving to be lived out, there has to be an ongoing commitment. And so the idea of sticking with, staying with, remaining attached to is abiding in Christ. Let me give you a second word to help us understand what it means when Jesus says, abide in me. And that is the word closeness. Closeness. Implied in this idea of abiding in Christ is a proximity, a nearness, a closeness to Him. We have to remain close to Christ. After you've jotted down the word closeness, let's look in James chapter 4. James chapter 4. James chapter 4, look at verse number 8. Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Draw nigh to God. How can we get closer, get nearer to a God who is everywhere? You ever thought about that? What is it? God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. He's everywhere out there. He's everywhere in us. How can you get any closer to Him than that? And yet, James 4.8 clearly tells us that we should get nearer to, closer to God. And when we do, God will be closer to us. Draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. What is this talking about? Well, certainly it's not talking about a physical closeness. It's talking about a closeness of fellowship. You know what it means to say, well, I'm not really close to that person. You know them. Maybe you even talk every once in a while, but you're not 
exactly best friends. There's just not a nearness of relationship or nearness of fellowship there. And what James 4.8 is talking about is having a closeness of fellowship. There's an interesting man in the Old Testament by the name of Enoch. Enoch, the Bible says, walked with God. And he was not, for God took him. Enoch was a man who, it is said that he, his relationship with God was so close that he was said to have walked with God. And there came a point where God just went ahead and took Enoch on home up to heaven. Now, I don't even understand all that. I don't know how all that happened. And obviously God didn't think I needed to understand all, how all that happened. But illustrated in that is this wonderful idea of being close to the Lord. You know, just taking a walk with someone can really help you get close to them and get to know them. And our relationship with God is to be one of nearness, of closeness. You think about that, that branch in the vine, you don't get much closer than that, do you? But it's that idea of, a, of, a, of a, a true fellowship and a true relationship that's involved in it. So we have to cleave to the Lord. We have to be close to Him in fellowship. Let me give you a third word to help us understand this concept of abiding in Christ. And the word is continue. Continue. This command is not just abide in Christ once and be done. The idea is to keep abiding in Christ continually, always, and forever. It's something that is ongoing. There's a steadiness here. There's a consistency here. After you've jotted down the word continue, look at 1 John chapter 2 with me. 1 John chapter 2. Verse number 24. It says, Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. So here's this idea of abiding again. And it's talking about the word of God abiding in us, which Jesus will mention later in John chapter 15 as a part of our abiding relationship. Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. And that which ye have heard from the beginning shall, re- if that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye shall also continue in the Son and in the Father. That word continue there is what we're focusing on. That idea of a consistency, that idea of, of, of our spiritual life is not hit and miss. Our relationship with God is not, you know, intense and on fire one moment and cold and dead the next. It's something that is progressively growing steadier and steadier. We are making more and more progress in our relationship with God. And yes, there'll be some ups and downs, but it's not, it's not cliffs and valleys. And it's just there's a steadiness there of continuing. When we talk about inviting in Christ, it's not just, 
okay, we had this great meeting and everybody's on fire for God and for a couple weeks, you know, everything's great and then it just falls off. We're talking about making it a pattern of our life for the rest of our life. That every single day we wake up, we realize just how much we need Jesus. That we are totally dependent on Him. That I can't even walk, I can't even breathe, I can't even think without Jesus. I need Him every single day. Cleave to the Lord. Closeness with God. Continue steadfast in that relationship. Let me give you a fourth word. And this is the word confidence. Confidence. When you think of something that's attached to something or cleaving to it, there's a firm connection there. It's kind of like uh, if I'm pulling a trailer. When I put a trailer behind one of my vehicles, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the trailer on the, on the hitch, and then that, that uh, trailer tongue should have some kind of a locking mechanism on it. So I'm going to make sure that lock is down, and then I'm going to wiggle that thing a little bit, and I'll make sure there's a pin in that lock, and I'm going to make sure that the pin's in place on the hitch, and then I'm, I'm going to take the chains that they put on those trailers, and I'm going to put it on there. Why am I going through all of that? Because I want to make sure that that thing is firmly attached. It's not going anywhere. Because the last thing I want to do is to be going down the highway and watch my trailer pass me. I want to be confident that that connection is secure. And when you have an abiding relationship with Christ, there is a firmness or a settledness, a confidence of the heart that comes through that relationship. In fact, one of the evidences of, your, of not abiding in Christ as you, should, as you should is a lack of that. When the peace of God is not ruling in your hearts, when there's uncertainty, when there's questions, when everything just seems like turmoil and you're not settled, you're not abiding as you should. Here in 1 John 2, look at verse 28. And now, little children, abide in Him, that when He shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed at His coming. We can live every single day confident in our Christian life, not because of us, but because we are abiding in Him. We're secure in our position in Jesus. So this idea of abiding in Christ, I know it can seem kind of vague and far out and you know, mystical, magical. That's not what it is. It's just simply recognizing that if you're saved, you're in Christ and Christ is in you. So you cleave to Him. There's a closeness of relationship there. You continue in that and it produces a confidence that you're secure in that relationship. And notice what Jesus said in John 15, verse 4 again. He said, abide in me and I in you. Now, the first is the command for us to abide in Christ. The second is a statement of fact. Christ says, I abide in you. Now, regardless of how we handle our end of the relationship, Jesus is always faithful on his end. Even if we were to deny him, yet he abides faithful to us. And it's a wonderful truth that it's not up to us to maintain our salvation or our eternal life. We cannot keep ourselves saved. The choir sang for us this morning a song, He will hold me fast. Not I will hold me fast. 
Boy, if it were up to you or me to keep ourselves saved, we'd be doomed. We can't do that. Only He is able to keep us from falling, Jude says. We abide in Him and Jesus says, just know that I am abiding in you. Jesus always keeps up His end of the bargain. So don't misunderstand this morning. It's not like we have to somehow prompt Jesus to be in us. But rather Jesus says, I am in you. Therefore abide in me. We are in Christ. Christ is in us. There's this mutual connection that makes it possible for us to thrive in the spiritual world. 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5, Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves how that Christ is in you, except ye be reprobate? If you're saved, Christ is in you. You don't have to worry about that. Colossians 1.27, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is in you if you're saved. How does that happen? How does Christ come to take up residence in us? He, Ephesians 3.17 says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. It's when we place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that He comes in to our hearts. Let me ask you a question. Think of a physical grapevine. Where does the vine end and the branch begin? Think about that. Is it even possible to pinpoint a single point and say, okay, right here is where the branch starts. Well, how do you know there might be a few more branch cells over to this way? A few more vine cells over that way? I mean, how can you tell? When you, when you look at that physical connection, it is so close. You and I literally could not tell where the vine stops and the branch starts. And look, our relationship with Christ is to be that close. It's to be that close. We should be so closely connected to Christ that it's as if we were one. That's the responsibility of the Christian, to abide in Christ. Why? Well, number two, let's note the inability of the branch. Jesus said, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Now pause right there for a second. You realize that a branch is totally unable to live or grow or bear fruit without the vine. You cut the branch off from the vine, it's not just hindered, it's not just hampered, it is absolutely helpless. You throw, uh, cut a branch off and throw it on the ground, what's going to happen? It's going to wither and die. And Jesus said, that's what we are. But we often act as if we can do some things on our own and we'll get God's help for the big stuff. Isn't that what we do? You know, we have a little problem, I got this. Big problem, I need the Lord. We need to understand that we need God for everything. And I do not mean that figuratively, nor am I exaggerating. I am speaking literally when I say we need God for everything. Everything. 
as he will say in verse number 5, without me you can do nothing. The branch is totally unable to survive without the vine. We need God's help for the little things as much as the big for everything. Why? Well, first of all, because our strength is insufficient. Here's the thing. We have a little bit of strength. And we think, okay, I've got a little bit of strength. I can handle this, whatever this is. But the problem is we don't have enough strength. Our strength is insufficient. And if we attempt whatever it is without God, we're going to fail. Even as Jesus told His disciples, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Even if you really want to do what is right with all your heart, you can't do it without God. Our strength is insufficient. Not only that, our knowledge is insufficient. There are a lot of smart people in this world. There's some people that they just they blow me away with their ability to remember and recall things and their, their skills in analyzing. And, and uh, people have certain you know, skill sets where they have a vast amount of knowledge in, in certain areas. And, and for me, one of the things that fascinates me the most is, is people uh, who are truly experts at music. And, and I'm not just saying they can perform well, but they understand the mechanics and the science and the math of music. And they, these composers that can write these beautiful scores. And I'm like, how do you hear all that in your head and put it on paper? It just blows me away. There's some smart people in this world, but you put all of the wisdom and the knowledge of the world together. And you know what it is? God says... In 1 Corinthians 3.20, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise that they are vain. You put all the wisdom and knowledge of the world together and it is worthless. It is vain in the eyes of God. Our knowledge is insufficient because no matter how much we know, we do not know everything. Even as we talked about in Sunday school this morning, there are still questions that we are not going to be able to answer. And there's going to be times where God brings us to the end of our knowledge so that we have to be confronted with that fact. And we have to admit, I don't know everything. But our pride hates saying that, doesn't it? Our pride wants to think, oh, I can figure this one out. Oh, I got this. I can handle it. I'm smart enough. Our knowledge is insufficient. Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. Not only is our strength insufficient, not only is our knowledge insufficient, not, our skills are insufficient. We can get very good at doing some things. Don't get me wrong. Some people are very skilled in their trade or in a craft or in a certain you know, field of science or knowledge or history or something like that. We can develop all kinds of skills where we can put knowledge to practical use, but even all of our skills are insufficient because there will always be things that with us, they're impossible. We're always going to be confronted with our limitation. We can only do so much. Even in our world today where there's so much progress. You know, we, we have a space probe, two of them actually, I think they've both crossed the barrier, that are now outside of our solar system. Do you believe that? We have a robot millions of miles away that's still sending back data to the, our, our planet. That's pretty cool. I know I'm a nerd, but I mean, you got to admit, even if you're not a nerd like me, that's pretty cool. 
I mean, there's amazing things that we can do. We send robots to, we've sent them to Mars and they've landed themselves and they're driving around taking pictures and sending back selfies and all this sort of stuff. That's pretty cool. There's a lot of things that we can do, but there's so much that we can't do. Our skills are insufficient. There are things that with us it is impossible, even as Jesus said in Mark 10, with men it is impossible, but not with God, because with God all things are possible. We are insufficient. We are unable. We are not enough. I know that's not a popular message. You know, people want to go and they want to hear the TED Talk where the guy or gal gets up in front of them and says, you have all of the power within you, you just need to unleash it. That's what people want to hear, right? Just tell me how good I am and all that I can do and help me unlock the secrets of my greatness. But Jesus says, the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Second Corinthians three, verse five. Paul said this not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Not that we're sufficient of ourselves. We are not enough. We don't have enough strength. We don't have enough knowledge. We don't have enough skills. We don't have enough anything. Our sufficiency can only come from God. The inability of the branch. But you know, rather than this truth depressing us, it should encourage us. It should encourage us to depend on God. We must acknowledge and accept our inability and say, I can't. I can't. And we should even rejoice in our inability. What do I mean when I say rejoice in our inability? It is through our weakness that God is most glorified. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse number 7, but we have this treasure in an earthen vessel that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. I love that illustration. He said, we're an earthen vessel. You're a dirt jar. Did you know that this morning? You are a dirt jar. A jar made of dirt. That's not very flattering, is it? But you know what you have in you if you're a Christian? You have the message of the gospel. Why would you put the most valuable, the most priceless message in the most worthless vessel? That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. That's why. 
so that God would get all the glory for what he does in our life, so that when people come to know Jesus as their Savior, the soul winner doesn't get the praise, the preacher doesn't get the praise, but God gets the praise. We should rejoice in our weakness. This is not to sit down in the corner and say, woe is me, I'm so weak, I can do nothing. This is to stand up in the grace of God and say, I'm nothing, but God is everything. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, that the Lord said unto him, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And here was Paul's response. He said, Most gladly, therefore, would I rather glory in mine infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. When was the last time you gloried in an infirmity? I'm going to tell you that is not my natural reaction. Okay, when I come face to face with my limitations, my natural reaction is to say, Woohoo! I'm getting old. I can't do that anymore. <laughs> That's not what I normally say. I don't normally say, yes, praise the Lord. I can't figure this out. It's just not what I normally do. Paul said, I will glory in my infirmities so that the power of Christ may rest on me. The inability of the branch, but... Let's look finally at the vitality of the vine. Because Jesus goes on and he says, except, oh, here's a wonderful exception. Except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. Jesus didn't say the branch cannot bear fruit. He said the branch can't bear fruit except or unless something is true. There has to be an added component here. There has to be another piece to the puzzle. In order for the branch to succeed, in order for the branch to be fruitful, there has to be an abiding relationship. Except ye abide in me. And here's what happens. When we abide in Christ, when we are cleaving to Him, when we're close to Him, when we're maintaining that vital connection to Him, when we are experiencing the confidence of that relationship, Christ's life is flowing through us unhindered, just like the life of the vine flows through the branch to make the branch grow and bear fruit. That's what God does to us. His life flows through us when we are abiding in Christ. And so that as a Christian, understand that the life you're living as a Christian is not to be your life, it is to be Christ's life in you. Think about that. What is Christ's life like? Well, first of all, it is divine life. It's the life of God. Christ in us means that God has given us a new nature. Before salvation, all we had was sin. But with Christ in us, now we have the divine nature in us. 2 Peter 1 and verse number 4, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. The divine nature is the nature of God, the nature of Christ, which is characterized by holiness and righteousness. And if you are a Christian, that nature is in you. That doesn't mean you're always going to follow it. 
There are going to be times where you're tempted to walk according to the flesh and not according to the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5. That's a choice you have to make on an ongoing basis. But understand that as you abide in Christ, that life is there to flow through you. So that it's not up to you to produce the fruit. It's up to you to let Jesus work through you. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away and behold, all things are become new. His life is divine life. His life, number two, is eternal life. Oh, I'm so thankful that the Lord Jesus Christ gives us His life, which is eternal life. You know, that's why the resurrection is so important. Salvation is the offer of eternal life in the place of eternal death. Right? It's the offer of being rescued from eternal damnation in hell and given eternal life in heaven. And if Jesus Christ had never risen from the grave, then He would have no right to make such an offer because He would not have eternal life to give. He would be dead still. But because Jesus rose from the dead, He has eternal life, we know it, and He can legitimately offer it to us. And when you were saved, if you know Christ as your Savior, He gave you eternal life. That is life that lasts forever. It's not temporary life. It's not life for a little while. It's life forever. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Not only that, it's perfect life. Turn to the book of Galatians, chapter 2, with me. Christ abides in us, and that means that we have divine life in us, we have eternal life in us, and we have a perfect life in us. doesn't mean our life is always perfect, but it means that there is in us a life that is perfect. It's Christ's life. Because He is in us, what that means then is that we have the power and the potential to live righteously and holy. Before salvation, we didn't have that. Before salvation, we didn't have the power to live a holy life. We didn't even have the potential to live a holy life. It is only because Christ is in us that we can do that. Now look in Galatians 2, verse number 20 here. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. That means death. Nevertheless, I live. Well, that seems like a contradiction. How can you be dead and living? Here's the explanation. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christian, understand this. Your life is not your life. It's Christ's. I mean that in two senses. First of all, He owns you. You belong to Him. He paid the price for your redemption. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. But I also mean that in a second sense. Your life is not your life. It's Christ's. Because now Christ is living in you and He wants to live through you. He wants to work in your life to change you. 
to make you more righteous, to make you more holy, to make you more like Him. It is God's purpose for us that we be conformed to the image of Christ, to be changed into that image step by step, day by day, until the day that we see Christ face to face and only then will we be fully like Him because we'll see Him as He is. Christ lives in us. He wants to live through us. And that is how we as a branch can bear any fruit at all. When Christ's life is flowing through us unhindered. Our sin and our self-righteousness hinders that flow, prevents us from growing, prevents us from being fruitful. It is only as we yield to the Holy Spirit and to the Lord Jesus Christ in our life does that life flow through us as it should. Notice what Paul said about this life that we live. It is the life we live by the faith of the Son of God. And what did Jesus do for us? He loved us and He gave Himself for us. The power to live as God wants us to live must come from Christ because we have no power of our own. Not through our own willpower or force of habit. Not through any self-reform. Not through any self-righteous efforts will we ever produce the godly fruit that God wants us to have in our life. It is only by relying on Jesus to work in us and through us every moment that that fruitfulness will come. And this wonderful Savior who loved me and gave Himself for me simply asks in return, Abide in me. I abide in you. Now you abide in me. Christ's life is not mystical. It's not magical. It's not to be vague or nebulous. It is intensely practical. And as we grow in our grace and knowledge of Jesus, we understand more about Jesus and how He lived. And we learn to depend on Him more and more for the power to live like Him. Abiding in Christ is simply recognizing as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. No more can I, except I abide in Him. And every single day I remind myself that I need Jesus. Without Him I can do nothing. And when we do that, God works in and through us, conforming us to the image of Christ and producing in us the fruit that glorifies God. The hymn writer put it well, O to be like Thee, blessed Redeemer, this is my constant longing and prayer. Gladly I'll forfeit all of earth's treasures. Jesus, Thy perfect likeness to wear. O to be like Thee, Oh, to be like Thee, blessed Redeemer, pure as Thou art. Come in Thy sweetness, come in Thy fullness, and stamp Thine own image deep on my heart. Heavenly Father, we need You. We don't even begin to grasp how much we need You.
Forgive us for our pride. Forgive us for our self-righteousness. And Lord, help us to understand what it means to abide in you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I think sometimes we overcomplicate matters. Sometimes it's the preacher's fault. I get that. Using complicated jargon and sometimes unhelpful explanations, muddying the waters. But sometimes it's our, our own fault individually because we just don't take Scripture at face value. And yes, there's some, there's some aspects of our relationship with God that remain mysterious, but there are a lot of things that are just simple, basic stuff that if we would focus on those, we would find that, you know, the Christian life works when we live it the way God designed it to be lived. God designed it to be lived in complete dependence on Christ. Without Him, we can do nothing. We can't bear fruit of ourselves. We have to abide in Him. And today, I, I want to invite you to take a moment and get alone with the vine. You're the branch. But have you been abiding in Him? Are you close to Him? Are you continuing with Him? Do you enjoy that confidence that comes as you are in that abiding relationship? 